0: The last parish I served as rector, St. Matthias Episcopal Church in Whittier, California, on the edge of Los Angeles, was an absolutely beautiful building. It had been built in the 1920s in the Mediterranean style of architecture. It looked like a California mission. The architect later went on to design the famous Union Station train station in Los Angeles. And the claim to fame of the architecture of, of, of St. Matthias was that this was his first public building built in Los Angeles County. It was sort of his audition for building that great train station. So there was quite a bit of care taken of the building by the parish. It was well-maintained. It had various additions that had been added with great skill and, and care. And so I was always a little surprised once I started to to serve there, that in the middle of the lobby was a furnace. Now, the lobby wasn't nearly as big as the one here at St. Matthias. It wasn't much more than a pass-through space to get into the nave, the worship space. But there was a furnace sitting right there. It was something that looked like it was a... Uh, post mid-century modern. It was a brown, enameled, pebble finish. It was thoroughly not insulated, so whenever it was on, you had to make sure you didn't back up to it accidentally. And it did the job through those mild Southern California winters okay. The ductwork that came out of it wasn't attractive, at least at some point. It had been painted to match the colors of the wall and ceiling, but it just sat there did its thing a few months out of the year, overheated occasionally, but no one thought about it. No one looked at it, really. And then, as happens with furnaces, and apparently as a priest I'm a bit of a furnace jinx, since we had the same thing happen <laughs> here, it did give out. And so it was time to put in a new furnace. This gave me the opportunity to ask, why was the furnace just sitting on the floor right by the entry to the building? right, through in that crucial space of someone walking in off the street in to worship. And people sort of looked at me strangely like, well, why wouldn't it be there? <laughs> and so I said, you know, none of you have a furnace in your living room. I don't have a furnace in my family room. You know, we hide those things off in basements and garages and attics and that sort of thing. And so finally, I asked the rector emeritus, which is a fancy title for a retired rector. And when I say rector emeritus, he wasn't my immediate predecessor. He was the rector before that. And my predecessor had served for over 25 years, and his predecessor had served for over 25 years. I was a slacker since I only lasted 11 there. So uh, Father Al had been there 30 years before when the furnace gave out, the old one. It was an oil burner, and it fed radiators throughout the building, and it gave out. But it didn't give out just at any time. It gave out the week before Christmas. So they needed a quick fix to get the church warm enough for the multiple Christmas services that they were planning on hosting. And so they called in a heating guy, and he said, well, I could just jerry-rig something here. I could pop a furnace onto the floor here. I could run some ductwork over the ceiling of the lobby and just have vents blast into the church. And apparently, people said, okay, that sounds good. And clearly, people said the same thing year after year. Since 40 years later, I was there saying, why is there a furnace sitting in the middle of our lobby. Well, with the occasion of putting in a new one, people realized that a furnace was not terribly attractive. It suddenly stood out because it had things sticking out of it. And it was green and not terribly attractive. Not that the old one was beautiful, but it sort of blended in the coloring. It had just been there so long. And so now that there was a new furnace there, and it looked like something that belonged in an attic or basement, folks said, "Okay." Let's build an enclosure around Let's stick it in the closet. And that was very quickly accomplished. Furnace got to be in in the closet. No longer did anyone have to worry about backing into it and getting burned. The ductwork was hidden under some uh, beautiful faux woodwork. And we had a beautiful setup for the uh, heating of the church. Never did get air conditioning, I have to admit that. And I think of this story of people just ignoring that furnace sitting in the lobby when I hear the story of Jesus in Nazareth. Because one of the things to keep in mind is that for 30 years or so, Jesus had been worshiping here, there in Nazareth. He was in his home parish as he sat and taught the members of his church, of his synagogue, of his com- worshiping community about the scriptures that had just been read and taught about other scriptures referring to them. These were people he grew up with. They mentioned in the reading that these folks were saying, we know his folks, we know who he is. He was that furnace they'd gotten used to. Because I doubt, even though we don't have any record of what Jesus said before he became uh, baptized by John the Baptist, as an adult, I'm sure, He wasn't just sit back if the synagogue forgot forgot to feed the poor or look after the widows and orphans, as the scriptures repeatedly uh, ask us to do. I think they got used to Jesus as sort of that that appliance in the lobby that you made sure you didn't get too close to because you might get burned, but otherwise, just walk by it. Just walk by Jesus, get to your seat, He'll behave during worship and then get out before he corners you to ask for help with a mission trip or something like that. And then suddenly, he has started what we now call his public ministry. He started perform miracles. He started to heal people. He started to feed thousands with a couple loaves of bread. Weird things were happening. And so he couldn't ignore that appliance that had been sitting in the synagogue with them for years. They couldn't ignore that person who had been kind of odd and different. Now he was challenging them very directly. And they're kind of hoping, at least in reading between the lines of this morning's gospel, that they might get some free meals out of this. and They might get some good healings. And they might get some of the benefits that they heard he was sharing with people around the Galilean area where Nazareth is. Instead, Jesus kind of yells at them. Jesus said, basically says, you know these scriptures. You know what we're supposed to be doing. And I bet, I bet this was not anything new to them. I bet that congregation, I bet his fellow synagogue members had heard this from Jesus for years. And I bet they would heard a bit from his mom and his dad similarly but now now it was different because now there was something different about Jesus they couldn't ignore him anymore he was no longer the furnace in the lobby but he was in their face and saying they weren't going to get the goodies they weren't going to get the special effects that Capernaum enjoyed so they got enraged you don't hear many people in the bible getting enraged but Jesus' fellow members became enraged. These people who had known him all his life, these people who had seen him grown up and perhaps learned the carpentry trade, certainly heard what he had to say about what they should be doing to make the world a better place, now they were enraged. And it says they started to drive him out of town to throw him off a cliff, which to give him some uh, credit, That's what you did with false prophets. You got rid of them. Though it had been centuries and centuries since anyone had been done away with in that way. And I have a feeling that once they got outside and they started to see, you know, we're out in the real world here. And we're going to throw someone off a cliff? We're going to throw our friend Jesus off a cliff? No, we're not going to do that. And so I have a feeling they chickened out and the energy dissipated and it said that Jesus slipped through the crowd and went on his way. I can picture all sorts of people saying, come on, Jesus, get to the back, get to the back, get to the back, go off on your way. But they still had to deal with that new furnace. They still had to deal with the scriptures no longer being able to be ignored. They still had to deal with Jesus' words ringing in their ears. They still had to deal with how things were different now after just one service, one time of worship, and the world was completely different. For us today, we're asked to not ignore the ways in which the world is different after we worship, after we see God's presence in our lives in a sunset or a warm day or the face of a child, wherever it is. We're asked by God not to let those things become so everyday that we just ignore them like an appliance, but instead to live through those things, those experiences of God in our everyday lives. The major reason that Luke describes the crowd wanting to throw Jesus off a cliff and not succeeding is twofold. The first reason is to tell us that Jesus is going to decide when Jesus dies on the cross uh, sometime later. But also, it is that spiritual warning to us today of how tempting it is to throw God off a cliff within ourselves. That when our heart starts to warm, it's awfully tempting just to shut that down. When our mind starts to shift to a new way of seeing the world, it's awfully easy to throw those thoughts off the cliff because change is hard and it's scary and it's something that most humans avoid most of the time, particularly if it means living our lives in ways that we did not anticipate or plan for. But Jesus is telling us in his words in the synagogue and is slipping through the crowd later, that we can live our lives differently, and we should live our lives differently. We can always follow God more closely. We can always love people more generously. We can always do a little bit more to make the world a better place. We can always spend more time in prayer with God to see how to do those things. And Jesus asks us not to ignore those clues, those hints, those touches that God gives us to allow God to change our hearts, to expand our minds, to widen our embrace so that God's love can be spread more widely, so that God's healing and peace, forgiveness and acceptance can be known by more and more people. Don't drive God out of your hearts. We need to let God change us. We need to let God bless us We need to let God inspire us to be better people, to be more faithful, more loving. And therefore, God isn't going to disappear over some cliff, but instead will stay with the crowd, embracing them, teaching them, healing them, because we've allowed that crowd within ourselves to be stilled of its rage and instead be blessed and transformed by God's love.